episode three of Life and Life Only, and this is Some Thoughts on Truth. So as those of you who've listened to the intro episode will know, the brief for Life and Life Only is a search for inner and outer truth. Obviously, we're not going to crack it in one sitting and may not crack it in a lifetime, in fact, but uh, as the title suggests, just some thoughts. This is actually similar to an episode I did of my other podcast, one of my other podcasts, Glass Onion, on John Lennon. And I went on to talk about the John Lennon song called Give Me Some Truth, and there will be more on that later. But before I get to that, let's just set the scene. So it's a snowy Sunday afternoon in quite a small town just outside London. The snow's not actually settling, but it's certainly coming down from the sky. And I went out in it earlier and uh, had a nice walk. And now I'm recording this. As the podcast has gone so far, we're only on episode three, of course. It's uh, emerging as something of a Sunday afternoon podcast, but that may change when we start looking more at outer truth and start uh, getting into some alternative media ideas and hopefully getting some people on to talk about those with me. So starting with some quotes about truth. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. And that was Mark Twain. And you really can't do any quotes episode or section of an episode without mentioning Mark Twain or indeed Oscar Wilde. I think there's a few policemen who would agree with that as well because that's one of the things they do is when they're interrogating a suspect to get them to retell the story and look for cracks and changes in the story. Anyway, speaking of Oscar Wilde, the truth is rarely pure and never simple, which is a reference to the the phrase, the pure and simple truth. And I can definitely attest to that. I'm sure most people can, if they really think about it. But of course, propaganda relies on giving you what appears to be the absolute truth and giving you certainty. But it's a wonderful thing to to know that many things, including the truth, are, as Oscar said, rarely pure and never simple. It takes the pressure off in a funny way, because then you're not really searching for any sort of absolute. And it also might make you think twice about people in media outlets, for example, and politicians and so forth, who are offering you what appears to be something pure and simple. Certainly the public is given a simplified version of the truth. I think we'd all agree with that. Truth is a beautiful and terrible thing and should therefore be treated with great caution. And that's none other than J.K. Rowling, one of whose relatives was on the John Lennon show quite recently. I've only ever read one of the Harry Potter books and I haven't seen any of the films, but I imagine that would come from the later books because they did get a bit more um, adult, as Harry did himself. The truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. That's from the 12 Steps to Happiness book. That is a great quote. I often think of truth-seeking as requiring a redraw period from all your conditioning. So that is going to piss you off. There's going to be a pain barrier that you have to go through. But it's worth it because you will change as a person and you will get little nuggets that will motivate you to carry on trying to reach some kind of truth. In a time of deceit, telling the truth can be a revolutionary act. It's a famous quote from George Orwell. I don't know whether Orwell was referring particularly to totalitarian states, but I think us in the West, in our cosy liberal democracies, we always think that um, the truth being swallowed up in a tissue of lies happens in other countries. In the West, we don't believe in conspiracies. 
except if they're Russian, of course. I have a Russian student. As you may know, I'm an English teacher. I've mentioned that before. And we had a long talk about that as part of one of the classes. But in other parts of the world, it kind of works the same, but in reverse. The truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. That's Flannery O'Connor, who was an American novelist. Again, it's about going through a certain pain barrier. I think I'll get onto this later, but you'll notice when you confront someone with the truth, or when you confront yourself with the truth, there will be uh, some kind of allergic reaction. And that's normally a bit of a red flag. If you're talking about yourself, doing self-analysis, then it can be a good thing. Watch for reactions. I think if you confront someone with a truth, and I'm not talking about calling them out on their deficiencies, let's say, but if you're trying to offer someone a different view of the world and give the idea that maybe we've all been propagandized and duped in some way, you'll often find that the more angry the reaction, that means the more shaky the belief is. Art is the lie that enables us to realize the truth. And that was from a young man from Malaga called Pablo Picasso. The other thing with these quotes is that, as with songs, there's no one meaning. I mean, sometimes the meaning is very clear. You know, the Oscar Wilde quote, the truth is rarely pure, never simple. That's pretty clear what he's talking about there. But Pablo Picasso is obviously talking about art. He was a painter. But I would maybe just extend that out to the arts. I am a songwriter. I call myself a retired songwriter. But uh, in the act of songwriting, I used to find that at the beginning of a songwriting session, it's quite difficult. But once you get in the flow and you get in a sort of artistic space, then sometimes a truth can peep through and get through your natural filters. Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way, which is a very good book, that helped me a lot. She talked about taking yourself on an artist date. So what it means is, you know, going a park is a good idea, particularly if it's nice weather. Going to a park and trying to spend, I don't know, half an hour, an hour, two hours, however long, in an artistic space where you're thinking as your artistic self. It's a long time since I read that book, so I may have uh, slightly changed that, but that was the idea. Another interpretation of that might be that in some art forms such as theatre or film the whole thing is an illusion you know it's actors creating a reality for you but the truth can often be found within that production so it's both illusion and reality or realities coming through I always like quotes that include opposites as well because I think that's what life is just full of ironies and life if I had to put a genre on it I'd definitely call it a tragedy comedy nothing is straightforward Rather than love or money or fame, give me truth. That's Henry David Thoreau, author of a book called Walden or Life in the Woods. That was written in the 1850s about living in nature or what they call now living off the grid. One of those many books that's been on my to-do list for years. I will get there at some point. There's a quote from John Lennon. I believe in everything until it's disproved, including fairies, myths and dragons. It all exists, even if it's in your mind. Who's to say that dreams and nightmares aren't as real as the here and now? Now, when I originally recorded this Truth episode for the John Lennon podcast, I pointed out then, and I'll point out again, that there are a lot of fake John Lennon quotes on the internet. They tend to be things which are spiritual sounding, but very, very easy. One that comes to mind is something like, 
a teacher at school asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up and I said happy. Maybe John Lennon said that, I don't know. And I'm not sure about this one either, but again, you know, it's con- what's contained in it really rather than the person who did or didn't say it. And I believe in everything until it's disproved. Again, another thing that you will find if you consume a lot of mainstream media content, certain things are off the table. This is something we'll definitely get to in a later episodes when we're focusing more on the outer truths, how we receive information. You know, I don't believe in everything. If you offer that, someone will say, oh, you believe the, what's that saying? The moon is made of Swiss cheese or something. And it's not about, you know, literally believing everything, but it's about uh, taking things on their merits and unlearning a certain conditioning that says that certain things are off the table. As I said, normal life, in quotes, which is what I'm going to say most of us grow up in, that version of normal life is incredibly limited. You know, visible light, which is our view of the world, is an absolute fraction of the possibilities, and and apparently mainstream science agrees with that. The dreams part, I have a very active dream life, arguably both when I'm asleep and when I'm awake, but that's another story. But um, the sleeping part of that, I wrote down all the dreams I could remember that I thought were significant a few years ago, and since then I've continued to write them down, and I've put together a fairly enormous collection of dreams and there are certain themes in them that are unmistakable again this is difficult because if you go to dream symbolism websites or i used to have a book called the dreamers dictionary it's far too general however i think i may share this on later episodes i might do one about dream analysis and if i could get someone on to talk about that i'd be more than happy to do that but for example i've had lots and lots of dreams about flying and Conversely, but on the same theme, I've had lots and lots of dreams about confinement. And I remember years ago, I was teaching in a terrible school whose name I won't mention. And I had six months of just nightmare timetable and horrible classes. And the day that those classes finished and I wrote the reports and I walked out of that school and didn't go back, that night I had a dream where I was soaring over the oceans. I was soaring over the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean and I traversed the Pacific Ocean whose surface area is just beyond comprehension. I think I mentioned that in episode two actually about the vastness of the universe but the oceans is is another story. It's just mind-blowing and I traversed that ocean in uh, about a minute I think. (laughs) But you know I've had a lot of violent dreams because I believe I have a lot of repressed anger There are other dream symbols, such as uh, excremental dreams, hope you're not eating while you're listening to this, which symbolise shame. A lot of people have exactly the same dreams if you go to forums. It's too much of a coincidence for it all to be rubbish. But, you know, again, it it gets written off as a pseudoscience, and a lot of people laugh when you talk about analysing dreams. I believe that dreams are really a mixture of your subconscious sifting through the events of the day. So... If I'd have had a particularly long day of, I don't know, podcast editing, teaching, whatever, stimulating my mind, I'll often wake up feeling a little bit disoriented or confused the next morning, just for, you know, a couple of minutes, because my mind has been dealing with too much, sifting through too much stuff from the previous day. But I think also dreams can give you a key to your past and even to your future. I'll save this for the episode proper, but there are definitely dreams I've had where I wake up and I immediately know that I've been given some sort of sign or some sort of message and I've acted on it. And I know when I'm kidding myself and when I'm 
when it's real. The other thing is deja vu, you know. Again, we, we grow up generally, unless you have, uh, I don't know, for example, hippie parents or, you know, baby boomer hippie parents who are very open to the, what's considered like the wackier side of life, whether it be beliefs in crop circles. You know, if you grow up in Glastonbury, for example, you would grow up thinking that crop circles are just a normal part of life, an unexplained part of life, whereas just that idea will get absolutely disregarded and laughed at in other parts of the UK, let's say, or other countries. But deja vu, yes, I mean, when I lived in Thailand, the amount of times I walked down a back street, turned a corner and felt like I'd been there before. I mean, it wasn't once or twice, it was 20 or 30 times. Because one thing I loved to do when I lived in Thailand was to just go for a walk. Again, Sunday was a great day for that. You know, just a relaxing walk, and it was always sunny there, of course. And that just happened so many times. And there's other things, you know, most of the other members of my family are not particularly into mysteries or conspiracies, whatever, but my parents were on a, a plane. They went to the Greek islands, I think. I can't remember if they were on the way there or the way back. And they suffered extreme turbulence and they were absolutely terrified that their plane might crash and that might be the end of their lives. But they later said that they remember that my, one of my sisters had said, oh, don't get on that plane. But it was just in the middle of a conversation. It wasn't anything like she'd thought of or calculated. She just suddenly said it, don't get on that plane. It was like a thought just popped into her head. And again, with my parents, they moved about eight years ago now to a new town. And my, and my dad, when he saw the house, remembered that he'd had a few dreams of that garden. It was a garden, I think, more than the house, but they have a very specific two-tiered garden. And he said it was amazing it was exactly as he'd envisaged it in his dreams so anyway you know one of the things in this podcast that will emerge as one of the themes is just about not disregarding things just because you've been told that they're not valid or they're crazy or whatever so that's all the truth quotes but a book that i read a few years ago which had a huge effect on me was called the road less traveled by m scott peck it's a very easy read. It's not a particularly long book. So if you've never come across that and you really want some valuable lessons in life, you know, you don't have to agree with all of it. I don't agree with everything in that book. But uh, that was a big one on my learning journey. And there's a quote here, which is not about truth itself, but it starts with the truth. The truth is that our finest moments are most likely to occur when we are feeling deeply uncomfortable, unhappy or unfulfilled. For it is only in such moments, propelled by our discomfort, that we are likely to step out of our ruts and start searching for different ways or truer answers. It's very easy if you grow up in, let's say particularly a middle class situation or a comfortable, yeah, rather than talking about class, let's talk about a comfortable upbringing. You know, it's never going to be perfect, but there is a certain uh, normalcy that's reached and it can get very, very suffocating. Because you feel like your life hardly has any highs and lows, you know, ups and downs. And you fall into, uh, well, George Orwell called it a kind of a middle-class complacency. Keep the Aspidistra flying is one of his novels that's about that. I had a big Orwell face when I was younger, and I still like him now. There's a good arena documentary online about him that I recommend. It's this thing about where... Good can be bad and bad can be good. And that's why life is incredibly confusing. Orwellian, of course, really refers to the idea of an opposite meaning to what you're given. 
So when something awful happens like a terrorist attack, or as we're seeing with COVID, what will undoubtedly be happening? And I'm not, I'm not a pandemic person. I don't believe in that, but I believe it's being capitalized on. And it's so unthinkable to think that the powers that be would capitalize on it. But there's no doubt, you know, politics is a cutthroat business. And big business is a cutthroat business as well. So Orwellian, yeah, refers to things that aren't as they seem. But going back to this quote from M. Scott Peck, you know, bad can be good in that uh, you sometimes have to be in a painful situation before you actually act on it. I got into raw food for a while when I lived in Thailand. I listened to hours and hours of audio books and it was really, really interesting and helped me make some more or less permanent changes to my diet with a few lapses here and there. But he was saying that um, the people that are most receptive to a raw food diet are the terminally ill because when they're in a desperate situation, they need to make that change, then they'll make it. But otherwise, you know, we all... A lot of us, we fall into a complacency because our lives are too comfortable these days. Even though in other ways they're not, you know, in other ways it's getting harder. Like the wealth is being concentrated into fewer and fewer hands. That's provable as well. But in other ways, you know, we're very, very comfortable. So I think perhaps the lesson from that is, first of all, if you're having a bad day, that might be a sign that you need to make changes. So you should see that almost as a good thing. And also perhaps you have to put yourself out there you know I don't always take that advice (laughs) but I know that it's right because at the times when I have followed it it's worked for me I'm a great observer of people's behavior and my own behavior as I've said before I think I said that in the intro episode you should always look out for signs you know the universe or your body or your mind is trying to tell you something I'd say pretty much all the time I'm just going to touch on a few other things person I mention a lot on my John Lennon podcast, even though he's nothing to do with music, is Marlon Brando, who I like as an actor. I see him as a very flawed person, but he wrote a great autobiography, Songs My Mother Taught Me. And I've always warmed to him in some way. I've always felt quite sorry for him, even though he's probably, depending on what you believe, he treated a lot of people quite badly, but I think he also treated people quite well. And he did try to do good in the world. Anyway, when I was about 14... I watched an interview with him and Connie Chung. I think it was 89, so I would have been either 13 or 14. And I really knew Brando from Mutant in the Bounty, where he affected an outrageous, posh English accent, which I just thought was hilarious. And I remember thinking, he's sending this whole thing up. I've since appeared on a podcast called The Stinking Paws, and we did a review of Mutant in the Bounty that I'd recommend you listen to. We had a really good time doing that. It was three of us doing that. Anyway, and then when I saw this interview, Brando had put on a lot of weight. He was in his mid-60s, I think. And he was quite a formidable and quite scary person. And I remember thinking, this is not your regular interview. You know, I was only, as I say, my early teens. I hadn't seen that many interviews, I imagine. And normally it was all so nice. And, oh, yeah, you know, oh, this is my latest film. And he, he made it clear he didn't want to particularly talk about his latest film because he wasn't happy with the way that they'd gone back on some of the promises they'd made to him about it. Anyway, it just came across a very alternative thing. And anyway, he said two things which just stuck in my mind from that time, and they've stuck in my mind up to 30 years later. One of them, Connie Chung said, oh, don't you realise you're considered the greatest actor in the world? And 
Brando said, my dog's the greatest actor in the world. He pretends he loves me when he wants some food. <laughs> but that wasn't the part. The other part was, he said, everyone in this life is an actor. We're all acting. I think he gave the example of when uh, one of your friends, if it's a female friend with a new dress or a guy friend with a new shirt, and they say, what do you think of my new dress? Uh, and even if you think it's an ugly dress, you're going to say, uh, oh, yeah, it's lovely, yeah, it's fine. I'd probably say that with your very closest friends, I've had relationships and friendships where we've almost made a bond of telling the truth. So it doesn't always happen, but what he's talking about is in everyday life. Someone you work with, for example. Imagine you work in an office in a small department with someone and they come in wearing a new item of clothing or a new pair of shoes. If you tell them the truth and say, oh, I think they're awful, you've got to live with that opinion, let's say. You've got to be in that small space with those people every single day, or Monday to Friday. And that's so true of so many things. It's not worth the hassle telling the truth because it's going to be uncomfortable. When you're walking down the street, imagine you're having a bad day and you're maybe mulling something over and then you see someone you know. Majority of people, you're going to immediately click into your social persona. You know, you're not going to go, um, oh, I'm pissed off today, I'm mulling something over. You're invariably going to go, hi, you know. You're going to fall into that well-learned thing that we all do, you know. As if we've read a sort of How to Behave in Polite Society book, you know, that we learned how to do that. That seems very obvious, but then you probably will slip back into being like that. So perhaps the world would change in a little way if we were all... I'm not, I'm not saying, like, insult people, you know. <laughs> I'm not saying it like that. There was the Liar Liar film, the Jim Carrey one, which perhaps wasn't a, a great film, but it was a great idea, the fact that if you can't possibly lie and you have to tell the truth, you're probably going to end up with no friends pretty quickly. So I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about just being natural, you know. It sort of takes the pressure off in a way because if you spend your whole life just being fake all the time, it's absolutely exhausting because it takes energy and trying to be natural. And people will probably like it. You know, there's people who are sort of known for being refreshingly honest. And again, it doesn't mean that they're insulting people. It just means that they kind of cut to the quick. I remember when, um, again, when I lived in Thailand, it was such a formative time. I've got a hell of a lot of stories from then. There was an American woman who worked in my apartment building and she was what some people might consider a little bit, uh, let's say, brusque and direct. But when you got to know her, you found that she was actually really nice. She just saved herself a lot of time and effort by just cutting to the chase. And, you know, I guess she was probably, if she thought about it, she was probably thinking, well, the people that just want to be polite, they're not going to like me. Okay, fine. But if you get to know me, you'll see that I'm not a nasty person or anything. It's more difficult to do that when you grow up in England, I would say, just generalising. We see Americans as far more direct, although, you know, I've got to know some Americans and also Australians are known as direct, but I've known some very shy Australians in my time as well. But that was great, just seeing her and seeing how she got things done very efficiently without really upsetting anybody. The other Marlon Brando thing was when the interviewer was talking about stuff that she'd read or heard in the media about him, and he said very clearly, with his eyes burning into the camera, he said, you shouldn't ever believe what you read and you shouldn't ever believe what you hear. And once again, you know, it's not meant to mean that everything you see and hear is rubbish, but you shouldn't take it at face value. And gossip is just something that humans love. We just love hearing stories about people, particularly if it's ones that take them down a peg or two, particularly if, if they're famous people, for example, you know. 
there's a certain jealousy, I think, from the general public towards famous people. So they enjoy reading about scandals and times when the famous person's life isn't going so well. But, yeah, I always remember that from Brando. To consider things and to see that, you know, the media is a game, for example. And there are other things he said. She asked him about the Oscars and he said, oh, it's a sickness to always be trying to work out who's the best, you know, making top ten lists, because it just makes everyone except the person who's number one feel like shit. And I stopped watching the Oscars years ago. There are certain years, we've talked about this on film podcasts I've done, where I would say the true face of the Academy Awards comes out, you know, so Forrest Gump wins over Pulp Fiction. Years earlier, ordinary people won over Raging Bull. And I'm not saying it's a conspiracy, I'm saying it's more of an instinct to go for the sort of wholesome view of America. And recently, you know, it's got terrible, you know, that film about the killing of Osama Bin Laden just real propaganda, anti-Iran propaganda. And you really see the the true colours of the Academy in those occasions. And, you know, when you see the losers, if that's not acting, I don't know what is, you know, when you see the faces of the losers. I remember only once uh, I saw a bit of honesty on that with uh, when Samuel L. Jackson lost Pulp Fiction. He lost to um, Martin Landau, I believe, for Edward. And when it was announced, Samuel L. Jackson was smiling and he was sure he was going to win. And I think he should have won, you know, as much as I care about the Oscars. And then they announced Martin Landau and you just, you could see Samuel L. Jackson mouthing, shit, and <laughs> looking annoyed. But um, this need to say, oh, who's the best and start ranking things. And, you know, it's rubbish anyway, because whenever you see in uh, mainstream publications at the end of the year, they'll say these are the top 10 news stories. That's one of the things, because they've, totally ignored all the news stories that don't fit their agenda. And last year, you know, when I go and visit my family, it's about the only time I ever see the Radio Times because I don't watch TV anymore. And last year they had top 10 podcasts. And being a podcaster, this really irks me a lot because the top 10 podcast just meant the top 10 mainstream podcasts made by famous people. Now, there was no attempt to seek out any by nobodies. That was another thing. So that Brando interview, I'll put it in the show notes. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. So, And also Brando was in probably my favourite interview ever, which is the one he did with Dick Cavett in 1973, which I've talked about loads on the John Lennon podcast. And there's a fantastic bit where Brando, again, he's talking about how we're all actors. And he basically tells Dick Cavett all the things that go through Dick Cavett's mind when he's presenting a talk show. You know, is the lighting all right? Should I make a joke now? Is the guest happy? Is the guest uptight? And Cavett's brilliant response, he just says, uh, oh, I just feel like all my clothes have been taken off. <laughs> and that's a great interview, because that is quite natural. There's pauses in that interview which are both uncomfortable and comfortable at the same time. Comfort in the discomfort, you know, comfort in being natural. And Dick Cavett was one of the more candid of the talk show hosts, and he often intimated or said outright that he didn't enjoy doing what he did some of the time. Anyway, on the subject of news, you know, I remember Hillary Clinton was talking about Walter Cronkite, who was an anchor for one of the American TV stations. I can't remember which one it was now. He did some famous Vietnam War reports, of course. But Hillary said something like, um, we always knew it was the truth when we heard it from Walter Cronkite, which is ridiculous anyway, because he's not putting the news together. He's only reading it. But again, you know, you've got this authoritative figure who's telling you apparently the truth and delivering it in a nice way. 
And again, you know, that may seem obvious. You know, you may be thinking, well, of course they're not telling you the truth. But then most people act on the proviso that, taken with a grain of salt, the Daily News is more or less telling you the truth. You know, and obviously with, with a figure like Trump, the more liberal news, let's say, or the what's supposedly the centre of the spectrum, the objective news, you know, feeds that sort of hate hump. That's a Bill Hicks term, the hate hump about Trump, it just feeds it every day and then you get all this sort of confirmation bias. If you don't know what that is, it's when you seek out things that confirm what you already think. You may not even realise you're doing it, but I'm sure we're all guilty of that. One of my favourite comedy shows, I consider it far more than a comedy, is the BBC Yes Minister and then the spin-off Yes Prime Minister. And some of the clips started to be watched again around the time of the EU referendum because uh, the character of Sir Humphrey, the civil servant, basically explains to the minister how the world works. And they had advisors on that show who were real-life advisors and politicians. And so much of that is being borne out. If you investigate it, you'll find that it's the truth. It's almost like telling you how the world works, disguised as a comedy show, so I'd recommend that. And on the subject of the Brexit debate, again, the truth gets lost in this fomenting of these tribal instincts that we have you know because our behavior hasn't really changed that much i mean look at supporters of sports teams football teams particularly in england but the way that um i remember that the the brexit debate before about 2000 and, and let's say a year before the the vote was much more measured people were looking at the pros and cons of it and then as soon as the argument started heating up and the media got involved Suddenly it was in, it became a, I don't know, an issue of older people wanting Brexit, younger people not. And that was somewhat borne out in the final result. But how much of that was to do with people who had certain instincts about it, who came from certain age groups, certain places in the country, then having that confirmed to them and, and then them acting on it. Sometimes it's hard to know which is a chicken and which is the egg in these cases. But what's absolutely true is that towards the end it just became totally tribal and when the result came you know 52 percent of the uk population were written off by the other side as racist and small-minded and in fairness not everyone was calling them racist but certainly there was this perception that was given about being small-minded and somewhat bigoted somewhat old-fashioned you know it's really not that difficult to create a stereotype and get people reacting to it particularly if it feeds something that they already believe, as I said. So in this quest for truth, again, it's inner and it's outer truth. And being true to yourself, and sometimes looking at the more painful, darker aspects of yourself, really helps you a lot with outer truth, which is receiving information and thinking about it critically. I think the two go hand in hand, really, but I think you need to start with yourself because if you have a habit of not being true to yourself, then you, that's going to tend to filter out into the other areas of your life and how you confront the world and behave in the world and react to the world. Just a quick note on the author Robert Greene. I've actually read all of his books and they're all tomes. I think there's only one that's a what you might call a manageable <laughs> size for reading, but I've worked my way through all of them. And His most recent book is called The Laws of Human Nature and it's absolutely fascinating and I think the audio book's available as well. There are common traits that we share. One of them is that we all want to believe we're virtuous, 
and we tend to ignore our darker sides. But Green has made a very, very good case of saying that we all do have a darker self. And it may be that, you know, we can ignore it for the whole of our lives. It's still behaving, but we just deny it. The other thing is that we like to think we're independent thinkers and we don't want to believe that we've been duped. So it's easy to dupe us because we will tell ourselves that we haven't been duped. So we will then deny the truth. Another important thing to be aware of is cognitive dissonance, which is basically where some information is received into your brain that challenges an apparent belief that you already have. I would argue that if it's a belief that can be easily debunked by some alternative information, then it's more likely to be a conditioned or or a learned belief or a learned response. So when this information comes in, it creates dissonance. And dissonance in music is when you play two notes that don't go with each other, or more than two notes sometimes. And a lot of the music in the genre minimalism is about challenging you by giving you dissonant notes and discordant notes. So the journey of truth often involves alternative information and that will cause this dissonance in your mind. But again, when you're open to it, you can deal with it. But when your beliefs are too entrenched or you've been too badly brainwashed, then it's very difficult. I liken it to someone playing notes very loud in your head or being whacked with one hammer on one side and one hammer on the other. You know, you're being bombarded by two things that don't seem to gel. So I think that dissonance comes from not wanting to believe that we can be duped. Another belief is that all our thoughts are independent and that we're different from other people. But if you've ever heard of Darren Brown, he doesn't call himself a magician, but clearly he's creating something which is an illusion in the sense that it seems to be incredible and amazing. He does some card magic, I think. David Blaine, of course, famously does a lot of card magic. And, you know, when when the card that was at the top of the pile suddenly isn't there again, you think, oh, it's magic, you know, but it's just very, very clever sleight of hand. But one thing that Darren Brown did, I can't remember the exact details, but it was to do with personality profiles. And from memory, I think he took people from different countries just to prove that it wasn't specific to the UK. And I think the premise was that he was going to talk to them very briefly or ask them three questions or one question. And, you know, they weren't going to offer him too much information and from that he was going to put together a personality profile and when they all opened their envelopes that had their names on to read their personality profile they were all stunned because they said oh how does he know that about me you know how has he probed me just by asking me a couple of questions and I think in the end being honest there was something like 80% accuracy if you took them all into account there's one or two people who said oh this is nothing I don't think this is anything like me at all And of course, what was the conclusion? The conclusion was that he'd written exactly the same thing in everyone's envelopes. So broadly speaking, taking certain traits, we are 80% the same. Of course, there's shy people, there's extrovert people, there's open-minded people, there's closed-minded people, but he was really getting to the nub of the fundamentals. But that should be a good thing to know that, you know, others are in the same boat as you. Because if you believe that you're different from everyone else, then, you know, when you get the hard knocks and very negative feelings you'll believe that it's just something that's happening to you whereas if you understand that we mostly have a lot of the same feelings if not all of the same feelings just at different times then it can increase your empathy with other people but it can also make you feel less alone which is a very important thing so anyway i think i've talked for long enough i'm just going to leave you with a little bit of music and this is my version of the john lennon song give me some truth which 
inspired the original version of this podcast that I did a couple of years ago. It was a song that came out in 1971 on the Imagine album. And it's one of those songs whose lyrics... He mentions Tricky Dicky, which is about Richard Nixon, of course. Pearl Jam, when they did a cover of this, they mentioned Georgie Porgy, which is George W. Bush. You can choose your person, your politician, but I think the fundamentals of this have not changed at all in the 50 years now, if you can believe that, since the Imagine album came out, which featured, of course, the Imagine song. So here's my rendition of Give Me Some Truth. I just want to say thank you very much for listening. I don't think I've uh, given you the truth. I don't have it at all. I have uh, little grains of truth that I've garnered. And um, I would encourage you all really to go on this journey of self-discovery. One of the things is that you don't have to necessarily start learning things. In a way, that will happen anyway. You can learn about people. You know, an example I always give is Noam Chomsky. He gets written off in the mainstream as a lefty, blah, blah, blah. He's in a difficult position because the alternative don't like him because he doesn't deal with JFK and 9-11. And then the mainstream don't like him because he's too alternative for them. He's stuck somewhere in the middle. He's hanging in there, by the way. He's in his 90s, I think. So we should make the most of him while we can. But if you read a book he was involved with or, read, or watch the documentary Manufacturing Consent, that gives you a very good idea of how the media works. It's also a good video about the media filters. Because I think the media is going to be huge in this podcast in terms of uh, the outer truth. As I mentioned in the first episode, I have a few friends who work in the media who are willing to talk to me about it. So that'll be a big thing going forward. So um, if you could subscribe to the podcast, share links. I'm on all the podcast platforms, as I mentioned before. Also, there's a YouTube channel as well. So you can subscribe there. And If you like what you hear, just tell others about the podcast. Everything helps. Here's my version of John Lennon's song. And I'll see you very soon for episode four of Life and Life Only. All the best and goodbye. Sick and tired of hearing things from uptight, short sighted, narrow minded hypocritics. All I want is the truth Just give me some truth Had enough of reading things By neurotic, psychotic, big-headed politicians All I want is the truth Just give me some truth No short head, yellow belly son of tricky dickies Gonna mother hop and soft so me With just a pocket full of holes Just give me some truth No 
short head, yellow belly, sunny, tricky dickies, gonna mother hop and stop some me with just a pocket full of hope. It's money for Sick to death of hearing things from uptight, short-sighted, narrow-minded hypocritics. All I want is the truth. Just give me some truth. Had enough of watching scenes of schizophrenic, egocentric, paranoid prima donnas. All I want is the truth. Just give me some truth. Shot head, yellow belly, son of tricky dickies, gonna mother hop and soft so me with just a pocket full of hope.